0: Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the Filmmaker's Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. On this episode, we welcome back Boston Globe film critic Odie Henderson. Odie's joining me to talk about labor unrest among Hollywood writers and actors. Both the Writers Guild and SAG-AFTRA, the Actors' Union, are officially on strike. The writers began walking the picket line in early May, and the 160,000-plus SAG-AFTRA members voted to go on strike on July 14th. Both guilds are very concerned about how they are being compensated for streaming content and about how the use of artificial intelligence in movie making will impact their livelihoods. Odie also shares with us some of his favorite movies so far of 2023 and we chat about two new big releases that open this week, Barbie and Oppenheimer, or as Odie refers to them, Barbieheimer. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey, To learn more, visit FilmmakersCollab.org. And now on to my conversation with Odie Henderson. Hello, Odie Henderson, and welcome back to Making Media Now. Thank
1: you for having me again.
0: It's good to be chatting with you here at a, a pretty auspicious moment. Uh, In the world of the entertainment industry, the uh, TV and film industry, at least as 160,000 members of SAG-AFTRA voted at the end of last week to join their compatriots from the Writers Guild, 11,000 strong of them. So SAG joins the WGA and they all go on strike. When you hear that news as a film critic, what's the first thing that goes through your head?
1: Well, the first thing that goes to my head is I hope they get what they're striking for. Um, the second thing that goes to my head is that, you know, if this is the first time since 1960 that both the Writers Guild and the SAC and the Screen Actors Guild have been on strike at the same time. You know, they were strike separately in different uh, times, but this is the first time they both been on strike at the same time. And so this shuts down a lot of productions. I know the Deadpool 3 and several other productions have shut down. Um, the... Stars are not allowed to make appearances or to promote the work that they're doing. So the Emmy nominations were just out. Uh, the Emmy show would be empty if they ran it because, number one, there's nobody there to write it. And number two, nobody would show up to promote it because they're on strike. Uh, so they're thinking about moving the Emmys. The red carpets, they moved a couple of red carpets up kind of knowing that there was going to be a strike or thinking of the possibility of an actor strike so that's why the Oppenheimer screening in, in uh, overseas they were there for the for the red carpet but as soon as the strike was called everyone
0: walked out yeah I saw that so, and I in in reference to what you just mentioned I I had read that production on uh Deadpool 3 as you mentioned immediately shut down and Venom three. I missed Venom one and two. So Venom three has been shut down. Gladiator two. Who knew that was coming down the pike? But why should that surprise me? And Twisters. I'm assuming that's not about the licorice candy.
1: I mean, I guess it's Twister's is a sequel to Twister. But <laughs> Gladiator two, uh, Russell Crowe has been complaining, saying, you know, people stop asking about this effing movie because <laughs> he's not in it. Because if you've seen Gladiator one, he's dead. He's <laughs> and it was killed. 23 years ago. Correct. And so Russell Crowe was like, "They should pay me to because I keep getting questions about this." So yeah, everything is shut. I thought Gladiator Two was finished. Like, apparently, I apparently guess it's not. Um, there's also just throwing this out there. There's also two possible sequels to The Passion of the Christ. Now two. I am I am the son of a minister. Yes, I grew up in the church, and I may be a sinner now, but I haven't forgotten everything that they taught me. And at last I recall, there were no sequels to jesus we're still waiting for a sequel and it's not going to be a nice one so that is so mel gibson is well let's torture jim caviezel more and speaking of jim caviezel of course he's in the number two movie of, of the week the uh I forgot what it's called. A sound yeah. of freedom. <clears throat> yeah, a
0: sound of freedom. Yeah, and I want to talk about that because it's uh, I've I've been reading, uh, doing some reading about that. But before we get into movies that actually are playing, and you know, obviously they finished production and now they're looking for audiences. Let's go back to the strike just for a minute. You had said that it is your hope that the the uh, Screen Actor Guild, SAG-AFTRA, and the Writers Guild that they get what they're striking for. In a nutshell, what do you think the major uh, issues are that are keeping uh, the studios and management and the writers and the actors uh, from coming to an
1: agreement? What are the biggest issues? AI is a big issue. Before we even talk about the us talk money, you know, Hollywood accounting is always in the red. You know, Titanic lost money. Avatar lost money. You know, John Cusack talked about say anything, the residuals that he was going to get on say anything and never come up in the what is say anything is almost 40 years old. Um, You know, Hollywood is always saying you don't make any money. And so therefore you don't get paid. So them getting raises that are commensurate with inflation. This is not just, uh, you know, a a Screen Actors Guild or Writers Guild thing. This is a, a pretty much in any profession. People want a cost of living raise, and mm-hmm. people tend to forget that acting and you know, writing is never glamorous, but uh, acting is you're not acting all the time. And also, if you're not someone like Meryl Streep or a big star, you're going from role to role. And it can be a long time, but we have another role. You have to live off of that. You also have to pay your insurance. And all these things add up. It's like being a contractor, really. And so that's one thing. The AI thing is a little more difficult to kind of Explain, but the, the bottom line is that writers want to be assured that they're not going to use any type of AI to replace them. And actors, especially background actors, are talking about how they've been scanned and put into a system so that they could be used as extras in other scenes where they're not being paid. So again, it comes back down to money. So you know, if you wanna take my image and put it someplace, you should pay me for the use of that image. And also with streaming, it's different with streaming than it was with like say a repeat. Say you were on the Beverly Hillbillies and Beverly Hillbillies are on repeats all these times and you got like a nickel every time they shovel. And that's, that's not true, but let's just use that as an example. Sure. Whereas they can measure that Beverly Hill believes is on cable four times last week. So you had 20 cent, but the streaming things, they don't keep track of this on purpose. So they don't want to tell you how many people have watched you. Right. And so it you know they're basically railroading you out of money, mm-hmm. and you know the Bob Iger and David Zasloff, who has become the enemy that even general people know who he is and can't stand them. They're saying this is wrong, but then they're making four hundred million dollars. And executives, they don't do squat.
0: Yeah, I've read they some. I've like read CEOs. some tweets. I've read some. I've read some tweets in the past a uh, few days from. uh, from members of the either the WGA or, or after basically saying, when was the last time anybody paid a dime to see a movie that Bob Iger either wrote or starred in? And the answer right, would this be is, never.
1: Never. This is not the same as when Daryl Zanuck and Leo Mayer, uh, uh, Louis Mayer and you know Jack Warner and Harry Cohn, they... You know, these are names that people knew. Zanuck was well, Zanuck was so involved in the movies that you know Hitchcock hated the fact that he was constantly trying to rewrite Rebecca. So this is a much different world than it was in the studio system where you know, I mean no one would know who David Zasloff was. And he wasn't screwing with TCM,
0: exactly. And so, taking yeah, a prestige not brand like HBO and turning it into this yard sale of a streamer called Max. Max. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Everyone knows that Cinemax is only for a soft porn at three <laughs> o'clock in the morning. HBO was the big thing that everybody knew. Prestige know, how, television. How do you do that? How do you take the, you know, the the part of the, of the system that is everybody knows and replaces it with the thing that nobody knows? Yeah. I mean, you have to be like 40 to know what Cinemax is even for. Yeah.
0: Well, it would be like, you know, it w- it would be like if he had taken over uh you know Lexus and said, you know, we're going to change the we're going to change the whole brand and just call everything Corolla. And and, and, say, and, yeah, and people will find Lexus
1: right. the the take all the, the Lexus and just call them, I mean, Lexus is a Toyota, but you know, you know, <laughs> exactly my point. Yes. So the
0: but the you know, when we get back to speaking about the Bob Igers of the world and the Zasloffs of the world, their audience Of course, they're concerned in the long run about the audiences that either tune in or show up at the theater, but their real audience is their shareholder. And that's what they're, you know, that's what they're watching. And if their stock continues to take a dive, then that is going to give the unions sort of the leverage uh, that they're looking for. You know, when you think of something like the Screen Actors Guild, it can be. A bit of an uphill battle for the general public could easily perceive well, why should I feel bad for the, you know, the Brad Pitts of the world, you know, and the Tom Hanks of the world and the Adam Sandler's of the world going on strike? But the fact of the matter is, the average SAG AFTRA salary is less than $26,000 a year. And yes. fewer than 50% of them members make that much. So therefore, they do not, not even qualify for health insurance.
1: Correct. And so that's the thing that people keep forgetting. And again, I said writers are never glamorous, so we're going to leave them out of the equation for a second. <laughs> but people automatically assume that you're a celebrity, you make an ungodly amounts of money, and you're constantly working. But even Meryl Streep isn't working all the time. Even Meryl Streep has a final role, but she's Meryl Streep, so you know she's not going to starve. But you're a character actor like Margot Martindale, for example, right. or, or someone who is just basically a, a player that you see in several movies that have a couple of great scenes. They have to, you know, they have they're not working consistently. It's like being a contractor and you're waiting for your next contract. And I think a lot of people need to look at it from that way and stop looking at it as everybody is a celebrity and everybody's a star. You know, sure, Brad Pitt's not going to starve if the people go on strike for six months, but the average actor is going to starve. And what that's what they're hoping for is that the 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 powers that be are hoping that the writers and the actors who don't make a million dollars a role will get tired of not having any money and will then come back to the table with their tail between their legs and beg for scraps like Oliver, Mm -hmm. Oliver twist. That's not going to happen because what they don't realize is that if you've been broke before, you can survive being broke. Long time. You're rich and you all of a sudden you're poor, it's a different world. But if your struggle is constantly this, this is not new. This is nothing new. That's why I think it's going to last for quite a while, because SAG and the WGA, they're going to outlast the studios because they can wait. Because what have they got to lose? How much worse can it get?
0: Now, do you have any idea whether now that SAG is also on strike, do you have any idea whether the uh, the the um, the Writers Guild and SAG are going to be negotiating in unison or is it still considered two parallel paths of contract negotiation?
1: Well, that I don't know, but it seems like they've kind of come together with some form of a united front, whereas the DGA, they went with the contract. So they're, which is the, the director's, directors are guild. Out. Right. Yeah. Right. So they're out. So unless they find
0: a movie with no actors and
1: no writers. (laughs) Well, you know, some of these directors like Christopher Nolan write their own movies, but if they're in a WGA, they can't do that. Exactly. But, you know, it's the, the bottom line is that the movies that are already in the can are going to come out. They won't be promoted by anybody because the people are on strike. But then again, you know. They'll still commercials and trailers that that's already done. It's the movies that are being made that are going to suffer. They're shut down. Like you said, several of these movies are shut down already and it's, it's going to last a while. It's going to be sad. The writers have been on strike for 70 or 80 days at this moment. SAG strike is, is new. It's just happened a couple of days ago. So, you know, they're digging in their heels and I think rightfully so. Um, and then the, the, Bob Iger's and David assholes are not making themselves look any better because they're saying stuff that sounds like, you know, rich assholes.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the, I, Iger was in Aspen last week saying that the unions were being unrealistic in their ex in their in their expectations.
1: In Aspen. Where he, if he had been you know on the freaking Riviera, that would be, have been worse. That was a bit of a let them eat cake moment. Yes. And you know the, the Americans make fun of the French all the time, but the French is something we'll never do. They kill the rich people. <laughs> yes.
0: We are not fomenting revolution here on making the no 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 no, no sorry, we, we, Adam, sp- we mean, speak in allegory. disclaimer
1: disclaimer of the please don't sue the Boston Globe. <laughs> so there's a question for you. As I look at the
0: top five box office movies midway through 2023, starting from five, going up to one, we've got coming in at number five, Avatar Way of Water. Number four is Little Mermaid. Number three is Guardians of the Galaxy, volume three. Number two, Spider-Man, the ninth Spider-Man movie, by the way. This one is across the Spider-Verse and the the number one movie so far this year And this is this is this is a theatrical release is the Super Mario Brothers. So if you are heading a wow, (laughs) if if you're running a studio and, and I'm only being somewhat facetious here. If you're running a studio and you're saying, oh, my writers are on strike, but I'm looking at my box office of these top five. Now, obviously, there were writers involved in all of them. But, you know, one of the fears around A.I., is a studio boss says, okay, Guard, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Let me see. Uh, hey, ChatGPT, pick me out a script that sounds 80% like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and then we'll hire someone to just do a week of rewrites or something.
1: Isn't that truly the scenario they're they're concerned about? Yes, and to be honest, you haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy 3, yes, but it sounded like they did. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's even worse than that. Like, let's just write something that sounds like this and we'll make it. You know, on a set, things are being rewritten all the time. You know, scripts are very like, I like Unless you're the Coen brothers or something like that, or Tarantino, most of the time, it's, you know, scripts are being rewritten on the set, there's improv, there's so on and so forth. So a script is never 100% set in stone. That's like I say, you're something like the Coen Brothers, or, you know, who wrote the script, and who are going to lock into it. So that's what the fear is. And I had a friend who, uh, a student wrote to him saying, you know, he, he was, he's a film critic and a film historian wrote to him saying, Hey, I'm looking for this article that you wrote um, that I was doing research on. Can you please send me a copy or tell me where it is? And it turned out he was using chat and chat had made an article title and use my friend's name. And it sounded like he would have written it, but he had no idea what it was. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The implications are, are astounding. And And I just also wonder as a, you know, I'm a movie lover, but I look at, I look at this top five and I'm sure if I zoomed out to look at the top 10, I would come away with the same, maybe cynical notion that if they took the writers off a lot of these movies, would the audience
1: even notice? Yes and no. And I made a a jokey comment about how I said that Marvel and DC, these people are so ingrained into why the movies are so crappy. Because they'll serve you anything you want. Like Suicide Squad wasn't even done. Which one? And they put it out Suicide Squad. Okay. (laughs) it hadn't even completed that's right no and they just put it out you know and the people went to see it made 300 million dollars I said they could put the warner brothers logo on the screen and play the batman music for two hours and it'll make 400 million (laughs) dollars so you think you're cynical about this stuff i am even more cynical about it but in that same token someone did actually write those movies and you know whether i think the quality is is, is so par or not someone did write those movies and there were ideas present and AI and this is some. I come from a tech background, as you know. Um, the reason why AI, AI will never fully work is because AI is perfect, and we are not. Absolutely, and that's where the so it does not know be. how to right. It does not know how to make those mistakes. Right, how to break into something that a human being would do, and so the studios think that this is going to be you know wonderful, and it, it's. Turns out it's not going to be wonderful. But unfortunately, the studio is not going to suffer. It's going to be the people that are on strike.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, again, um, it's easy to forget that this isn't just impacting writers and actors, um, particularly actors who are getting top billing. You mentioned before, uh, background actors, uh, which, you know, they're exactly what it sounds like. Anytime you watch a TV show or a movie and there's a scene in a restaurant and you see all those other people around them eating dinner. Well, those aren't really diners. Those are background actors. And they often have to sit there. They're getting paid a day wage, a union negotiated day wage, and they sit there for six, seven hours a day. And what AI would like to have happen is no, you just sit there long enough for long enough for us to get a di- digital read on you. And then we're just going to insert you where, you know, where necessary. But right. along with the good. background actors who now also aren't working, you know, you've got all of the technicians, you've got all of the craftspeople that have Devoted their their lives to set design and to you know lighting and editing and so forth. So
1: there's a lot of people who are impacted by this. Right. And the background actors, there are people who this is their career, this is their livelihood, because they get a lot, a lot of work because it's always there's always a need for background actors. And I thought about gladiators there's the gladiator too, how Ridley Scott use CGI mm-hmm. to pump up the crowds in the background, but that's a little bit different because you don't really see the right. detail of a crowd of 10,000 people. It's not like going with the wind when they pull the camera back and there's all those dead bodies on the field and that each one of those is a natural person. This, you know, CGI can be used to pump up a crowd. What they're talking about is something more granular than like closely where you I'm in the scene, I'm acting, you're behind me, you're just a, a background actor. Now they took your image, Instead of you, and it means they don't have to pay you. And I talked about The Flash bringing back Adam West and Christopher Reeve, actors who are dead and forcing them to act. You know, that to me is disgusting from sort of jump. But now they want to do it to people who are alive. That's yeah, that's it's it's
0: dystopian. So we we, kind of led with the bad news. So let's see if we can find some some good news. As I said, here we are midway through 2023. There's a couple of huge openings later this week, which I want to get your take on. Spoiler free. But I do want to hear about I don't care where they're falling in the in the box office, but I do want to hear about what some of your favorite films of 2023 are so far. When I last spoke with you at the end of last year, what I really liked about our conversation is you brought a few films to my attention that I had not heard of. And I, after speaking with you, went out and saw and was very happy to have done so.
1: Well, I mean, there are movies that I love. I love I air and not did, just okay. because I read for the Boston newspaper. I, I love air as so- a. Are you 24. contractually bound to love air? No, because I always mention I'm a Yankee fan. The paper just to piss <laughs> off the readers. Past Lives, another movie I gave four stars. To yeah. a fantastic film. You Hurt My Feelings, another movie with Julie Louis-Dreyfus that I gave four stars to. We're looking for action. I, I love John Wick. John Wick was a lot of fun. And and that was, was what?
0: John Wick number four or five? This is four. Four, okay.
1: A- and it was a fun forum, It wasn't fun. It was a tense forum we call full time. That was basically taking a drama of a mother, a single mother trying to take care of her kids and trying to get to a job interview and turning it into like a run Lola run style thriller, which I really, really liked. Um, as far as some movies go, I might, I did not like Indiana, the last Indiana Jones, but I kind of took myself behind the woodshed in my review because Raiders of the Lost Ark is the best time I've ever had in a movie. Sure. And it made Dial of Destiny for someone like me, despite the fact that I didn't want Temple of Doom, for starters, let alone Crystal Skull or this. And so the nostalgia factor can be dangerous sure, in terms exactly. of this type of thing. Constantly bringing you back to re- repetition. And I said in my review that they're regurgitating thrills that we've already digested. Yeah. And I, I, you know, that can be an issue. The Mission Impossible movie is the, so far the best summer movie so far that I've seen. Uh, and of course, this week we have Barbenheimer, Barbenheimer, <laughs> which exactly. we're calling the Barbie and Oppenheimer movies that are opening on the 21st. They can't be any spoilers for me because I haven't seen either of them. I'm seeing oh, okay. Barbie you in have a couple not, of hours. I'm right. No, I'm seeing Barbie in a couple of hours and I'm seeing Oppenheimer tomorrow. You are. Uh, so, so hang on a second.
0: I want to know okay. about this. So you're going to see Barbie in a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, what In what format will you see
1: it? Oh, I'm going to the Warner Brothers screening room. So you I are will see okay. it on the screen, and how and about Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer? I'm seeing it on IMAX 70 millimeter for Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's going to be amazing! The way that Chris Nolan wants me to see it. Yeah,
0: that, <laughs> <laughs> and for and I'm very much looking forward to seeing that also.
1: And I think that's that's probably mandatory to see it in that format. Well, you know, I I'm I i, I do not think you should watch anything on a phone, and <laughs> you know, I'm I'm kind of against. Laptops. Even though I, I do watch a fair amount of movies on a laptop, um I'm you know back in the pandemic times, I was against like Tom Cruise and saying go see our movies and get sick. But mm-hmm. now I think there's certain movies you can try to see. I don't think you can see it on IMAX 70 millimeter. I think it's kind of a little bit elitist on, on Nolan's part because not every town has an IMAX 70 millimeter. Quite true. um You can just see it on a regular screen, and that's that. I don't think I want to see. Killian Mur- Murphy's junk and IMAX 70 millimeter, you know, even if I'm a, a connoisseur of junk, um, you know, so it's it's when they bring that kind of stuff up, ghost of my movie and to see it for $40 a ticket, I, I'm kind of shade on that. You know, I see the movies for free. So, so I don't have you, a, you know.
0: <laughs> when you go into a movie like Barbie, uh, that's been heavily promoted. I, I feel like the, the, um, the Greta Gerwin uh, role being the director um, Gerwig actually is a Gerwig. Is, yes. Gerwig, uh, yes, Gerwig I, yes. 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 No. Greta Gerwig. Um, I feel like her being the director and knowing her past work as an actress and also as a director um, really adds the you may not be getting what you think factor.
1: Well, I think it also adds that this is going to be a good movie factor because her track record as a director has been quite good and also her kind of sardonic humor she's remind, remind the audience
0: what she has directed in the past.
1: Uh, she did, uh, Lady she's Bird and little women yes and, um and so she has a sense of humor about herself about the, the subject matter that she's going through even if it's serious subject matter i think she's a very good writer you know it took me a long time to warm up to her as an actor mm-hmm. but i think behind the behind the camera i think she's batting a thousand for me at least and so that added to, you know, if Barbie had been directed by Tarantino, I might have a different kind of perspective on what I was getting. So I purposely avoided learning as much anything I could about Barbie simply because I wanted to go in as blindly as possible. But something like this, you need to go in as blindly as possible. Like Oppenheimer, we know what happened. Well, it's so, funny you, know, you say that. But yeah, I mean, we
0: do know it. And first of all, who's we? Um, I do wonder, you know, if you stopped 100 people on the street today and first of all, asked him, asked them who Oppenheimer was. I don't think you're going to get huge numbers of folks saying they did. But then, you know, if you if you ask them who was the architect of the Manhattan Project, you'd get even more blank uh, stares.
1: But well, said do you know what a nuclear bomb is you know what that is <laughs> Different story so yes. kind of at the end of the day it winds up by default being that you know hey do you know what a nuclear bomb is yes well Oppenheimer's the guy that you know ushered it in and, you know there' have been movies about this before they've been they've been pretty bad there's been the Manhattan Project which is kind of uh, a kind of a no- nukes kind of movie from the 80s where it was written by the guy that co-wrote Annie Hall um and there was Fat man and little boy. Mm. which is one movie All that women. Paul Newman doesn't put on his resume uh, ever. They didn't, even, they didn't even cover it in that thing that um, Ethan Hawke directed. And that, and was, that eight was, eight was a pretty long. high
0: profile movie at the time, if I recall. Yeah. Was that and Roland Joffe
1: directing that? I want to say it was. It, I mean, you may be correct about that. And Paul Newman wasn't the only star in that movie, but it was you know, an enormous flop. And you have to go back to something like Dr. Strangelove yeah. to get a movie about, or the China Syndrome, simply because... You know, it came out the exact time of Three Mile Island, Correct. you know, here. So it's, I think people, The that's why PR brings this stuff up. I'm sure that half the people that bought tickets for Barbieheim, Barbenheimer had no freaking idea who Oppenheimer was. Just thought it was cool when these movies come out the same day and they were getting a lot of hype from yeah. the studios. So the studios are doing their job. Because now a lot of people know about Oppenheimer, a three-hour R-rated movie about nuclear war. And they know the same people, a lot of people know about Barbie, you know, a doll that came out in 1959.
0: I think the biggest test for Oppenheimer is going to be, is it possible for a modern audience to sit in a theater for
1: three hours and stay the hell off their phone? They sit through freaking (laughs) those Marvel movies that are like nine hours long. In fact, uh, Mission Impossible was almost three hours long. It's the longest of the summer movies. Nothing has been under two hours. Everything's two hours and 20 minutes, two hours and 40 minutes, two hours and 50 minutes. They can sit there. Avengers like three and a half hours long.
0: What's coming up in the latter part of the summer? I mean, it feels like we're reaching the pinnacle uh, with Oppenheimer and Barbie, but I haven't I've barely seen anything even advertised for typically August. You know, you get a lot of throwaways, but it also feels like every at, at the latter part part of summer, you know, a few gems always slide
1: through. Well, you never know what's going to happen, you know? And so again, Barbenheimer is uh, an an aberration because usually around this time in the year, all of the big movies have come out. Yeah. So now after Barbie and Oppenheimer, we have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is coming out a cartoon version of it. You have a
0: cartoon uh,
1: version, another one, you know, Jim Henson (laughs) did the the first one back. It was in 90. Um, and so then it was also with, with Megan Fox not too long ago. So the Teenage and Show is coming back. There's a very profane R-rated movie about a dog called Strays. And um, it's kind of like uh, Will Forte is in it and a bunch of other actors. And the dog has been dis- disowned by his, uh, left out to die in the street by his owner. And he wants to find his owner and neuter him that's not what the the trailer says yeah. he Just bite is you know what off okay and neuter him so that's another movie that's kind of sounds like I, I, may I, have I'm,
0: I'm picturing a future a future double feature be, with with that and Cocaine Bear
1: well I like cocaine bear I like Megan too again these movies that get pumped up by a studio. Universal who made Oppenheimer. In their heyday, in the 70s, they made schlock. That's why I love the grungy universal of what I keep talking about in my reviews. Cocaine, Bear and Megan are both universal. They know how to promote a genre picture. Granted, Oppenheimer is not a genre picture, but they do know how to promote these things. And so at the end of the summer, you might be bored. You might want to go see a movie. These are your options. There's also a movie called Bottoms, which is about uh, a lesbian cheerleader, lesbian couple of lesbian teenage girls who decided to start a fight club so they could sleep with cheerleaders. That sounds like a lot of fun. It was a big hit at Sundance. So you never know, these little gems kind of pop up every so often um, toward the end of the summer. And then there's also Talk to Me, a big horror movie that is like The Monkey's Poor meets Flatliners. Um, that's coming out at the end of, of July also. So there are little, little things. You said gems is a good word. But for the most part, this is it. Barbie and Oppenheimer are the last hurrahs of summer. Well, it's going to be interesting
0: to see how it's how it's going to be very interesting to see how this strike shakes out. It's going to be interesting to see the box off numbers, box office numbers for each of those films. Um, Personally speaking, I could care less about how they perform in the box office. I'm going to go see both of those both of those movies. I look forward to reading your reviews of each of those. And uh, Odie Henderson's reviews can be seen in the Boston Globe, either in good old print or digitally, of course. And uh, thank you for your time, Odie. I appreciate catching up with you. And um, let's let let, let's pencil in a date to talk at the end of the year uh, to see what what all of this madness has wrought. See,
1: hopefully, the strike will be over and everybody will be happy except the studios. We'll
0: be able to talk about those holiday releases, which are always something to look forward to. Absolutely. Thank you, Odie Henderson. We'll talk soon. Thanks.